This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Well, on Wednesday the 26th of May, the next in the Visions for Dunedin series, the Free Public Talks at the Dunningham Suite on the fourth floor of our Dunedin City Library. The talk's presenters are Susan Irvine and Sarah Gallagher. And Sarah joins me now to talk about blowing up boundaries. What do you know about the history of our inner city, and especially around the history of Bell Hill? Uh, Sarah Morena, lovely to have you with us. Morena, Jeff. Most of us who've lived in Dunedin will know about Bell Hill in some sense. That we, the, the the fact that there was this this hill in the centre of the city, which just just got removed. These days it doesn't sound like as though that would be a terribly huge thing, but it was massive, wasn't it? And just how massive? It really was massive. It was huge. And the um, the Māori name for Bell Hill actually gives us a clue to its size. The name was Namuana Irua, which translates roughly to the two seas. So if you can imagine, imagine you're sitting in a boat out in the harbour looking towards what's now the CBD and there's this great projection of rock coming out into the harbour creating two inlets, an inlet either side of it. So that's, we don't have anything like that now, do we? So 160 years ago, 170 years ago, Mm. um, this city looked very different. It did look very different and part of the value of the um, of Bell Hill, or initially it was called Church Hill, and then it was changed to Bell Hill, was its beauty and for the church. So remember, the Free Scots came out here. They were the first settle- official settlement in 1848, and the Reverend Thomas Burns was the religious leader, and he had this vision of a huge church on the promontory of that hill like a massive lighthouse, this beacon glowing out across what was going to be the city. And um, so that was his vision. And the aesthetic appeal, the beauty of the hill also was really appreciated. It's interesting, you know, like today, um, as I was saying just before, the public always have lots of reckons and opinions about things. And part of this talk is giving voice to those, so there's some really interesting commentary throughout the decades about so we had Bell a, Hill. We had a stadium-like debate going on. Oh didn't we? yeah, yeah, it's quite interesting. Why? Well, uh, you'll explore this in the mm. talk, but you know, in general terms, um, such a massive geological feature. Why would you not just work around it? Well, that's a really good point. We're used now to this great bit of flat land where Cumberland Street and Crawford Street and the um, the Harbour Basin are. Well, that never was there. So our harbour basically started at Princes Street. So everything east of that has been reclaimed. And guess where that reclamation came from? Mm. That's Bell Hill. It's a massive so amount of material, isn't it? It is. And I've got a really, I've got a good quote, actually, that I can read you. This is from... Um, A guy called George Henderson, he was particularly scathing about the removal of the hill. And the actual removal started in about 1858. That's when the first cutting was taken. So Bell Hill kind of poured across Princess Street and separated Princess Street from the Octagon and George Street. So in 1858, they took a six-metre-wide cutting 
through to allow passage because people literally had to almost crawl up the hill. Like you couldn't get a wagon up there. It was really, divi- it really divided the south part of town from the north part of town. It was a real obstacle. Anyway, George Henderson in 1866, he noted that the provincial government missed a golden opportunity when the discovery of the gold fields, which 1861, brought large sums into their coffers. Instead of opening up the country by means of good roads, they've squandered all their means on a futile and useless attempt to cut down a hill in the town and throw it into the harbour. Having only succeeded in making a big hole in the side of the hill, they've been compelled to stop for want of funds. The hill, formerly a most picturesque object, is now an eyesore with its hideous and dangerous chasm. Gosh, that sounds, the language of that is so familiar. Isn't it? it? (laughs) I know. Over a hundred years later and we're still, you know, we're still able to read that kind of passion and venom in our papers. Well, I mean, and I guess that's part of what you're exploring here, right? Is that Mm. that this is, you know, the the will of the people or the will of local government or the will of society to have what it expects in a yes. in a city or in a developing area and 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 something as inconvenient as a hill just needs to be got out of the way. I know and and you know you think now today I mean we see roadworks happening around the place or we see major infrastructure projects like um, what's going on out on the Har- on the Portobello Road at the moment? You know the creation of cycleways and the building of the um, the harbour wall. Well, you know we've got machinery. Back then there was no machinery. There would have been horse and carts. Um, but it wasn't until 1870 that they actually put in some rails to remove the rubble from Bell Hill and move it across the flood, the mud flats to dump it. So 1870, that was an innovation. So this was manual labour. So necessarily a very long process. A very long process. So it starts in about 1858 and doesn't really finish until about 1872. It was enjoyable. So a generation. To, yeah, mm. yeah. It was enjoyable, um, Sarah, to hear um, the language of the day. Uh, have you, do you have some other opinions um, oh, expressed? Let me see. Well, you might wonder who did the work. So remember in 18... So it was just sort of kicking off properly. The provincial government kind of took over in 1862. And remember 1861, Dunedin sort of exploded on the world stage as the gateway through to the goldfields. So people were coming here from all over the world. And um, so people would arrive and they'd need to get a bit of cash together to be able to buy some supplies to go through the fields. So often people would um, be employed to work a bit on Bell Hill. They'd earn five shillings a day, which Susan and I worked out to about $30 a day equivalent. Um, And there'd be picks and shovels, a bit of drilling and explosives. However... Those workers dried up and prison labour ended up being utilised. They didn't get their five shillings a day. No, no they didn't. No they didn't. The short the short stay prisoners were, um, they would be up on the rock face, on the cliffs, they'd be the ones with the picks and the long stay prisoners would be in the jail yard and their role was to basically break up a cubic metre of rock a day. Bearing in mind that, I'm just trying to remember, I think there was some extraordinary volume of um, 
a really extraordinary volume. 18,000 cubic metres of rock were removed from Bell Hill. Mm. So one cubic metre a day being crushed up. That's a lot of hours. Do we know if any lives are lost in the process? There were some lives lost. Um, There was a prisoner who escaped. That story is going to be in the talk, so I'd really encourage people to come and hear that because it's quite extraordinary. Um, But yes, there was a good quote, which um, I'll read out now. Bell Hill became known as the fear of drunken, worthless husbands, the nightmare of thieves and desperados, where crimes were punished and infamy expiated with honest sweat. And that was from... um, Oh, that's, that's a quote from McClintock, the port of Otago. So, yes, that was the place that you went if you committed a crime, big or small. You were sent to Bell Hill. It's interesting reflecting on this. Um, you know, we go about our daily lives uh, without perhaps too much consideration to how things that are in front of us got to be that way. Mm. Um, and these are... You know, these are visible things and invisible things. The whole question of of how a city operates, how infrastructure is put in place, mm. it, it for many is 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 just a, an inconvenience. It's 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 thousands of orange road cones and and what have you. The equivalent would have been in the day. I don't know what, but yeah. But um, you know, there is this significant effort made to establish I mean this, we're talking about the establishment of, of a city with a vision to be well connected and to grow yes uh, and and I, I guess that was the justification for saying this this thing's got to go this thing's got to move exactly because um, I mean what it meant was Dunedin became the preferred harbour in New Zealand um, it meant the ships could come right up to um, you know where our shoreline is now. Um, prior to that, they couldn't because there was this big wide mud flat, and um, where the Toitu stream. A lot of people might not realise, but down sort of Retro Street, High Street, down to where the Exchange Plaza is now, that's where the mouth of the Toitu stream was, and that was actually a really important place for local Māori. It was a Kati Mamoi and, and uh, Kaitahu. Tauraka Tauraka is a, a landing place and for a short time it was quite a vibrant marketplace and area of trade for Māori and for the early Europeans. Um, but of course that became subsumed by the reclamation as well. These days there'd be a lot of consultation around that. Well, Iwi would be involved. Would. They would w- be. Were they? Um, I, uh, honestly, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. That area down there, um, there was supposed to be a native reserve returned to Māori around where, um, you know, where the, the public convenience that is, um, has recently been nominated for the heritage list around there. Um, that was never, that still has never been returned. Mm. But it's on maps. And um, speaking of maps, it's Charles Kettle's map from 1846, which sort of outlines the proposed reclamation area. Um, and he um, and the promontory where First Church is now is sort of marked, um, is already sort of laid out there. You're co-presenting with Susan Irvine. What, yes. what different perspectives are you hoping to bring to this talk at the Dunningham Suite on the 26th of May? Right, well... Um, when we wrote this talk, it was actually two years ago. It was for the 1869 conference, which was part of the university's 150th celebrations. And it was um, presented at a conference for the Australasian Victorian Studies Association. So the um, 
Susan and I were both working for Heritage New Zealand, Pohire Tonga at that time. Susan now works for New Zealand Heritage Properties. So we very much worked on this together. We didn't really have um, differing perspectives. We were both applying our knowledge and skills as heritage assessors to, um, to the question, what were the values of Bell Hill and how did its... Um, demise actually increase its value. Hmm. There's reference in the promotional material to the city being referred to as Muddyden for yes. a while. Um, it would have been a messy job. It would have been a very messy job, and there's lots of um, complaints in the, in the papers of the time about the state of the roads. And during this 20-year period when the, um, when the hill was being reduced, it was also an incredibly dangerous place. There were precipitous cliffs, and you know there's no such thing as health and safety back then or road cones. So and no street lighting for a great part of the time. So you can imagine on a cold winter's night, on, walking along on slippery rock, there were, you know, there were a lot of hazards. In there the would city. have been some temporary um, passageways, I imagine, to yes, enable and, some you know, connection. A, a bit of bit of rickety balustrading, yeah. perhaps. You can see in some early photographs, it almost looks like um, sort of Manuka post and lintel fences, which you know people literally hauled themselves up to get up Prince's Street when it was terribly steep. A very costly exercise for a young city, made less so, I guess, by the free labour. Yes, or cheap, yeah, or cheap labour. Yes, certainly once prisoners were involved, yes. Mm. And the um, Pakakohe group from Taranaki, 74 prisoners that came down here in 1869, they were involved in the reduction of Bell Hill as well. Yes. Apart from the opportunity that we're going to get on Wednesday the 26th to hear you and Susan talk about this history. Where can we go to find out more about Bell Hill and where have you gone? Where have I gone? Right. Well, um, our public library is a fantastic source of information. Um, and also, a lot of people may not know this, but First Church actually has a little museum out the back, and there's a good display there about Bell Hill. And I think it even has the core samples. It has some core samples in there as well, which are quite interesting. You can see the makeup of the, um, of the rocks and the sands that are part of the hill. This is going to be a really interesting talk. I do encourage you to get along. Visions for Dunedin blowing up boundaries, quite literally. <laughs> Wednesday the 26th of May, 6pm it is, in the Dunningham Suite on the fourth floor of our Dunedin City Library. And as with all of these talks, absolutely free of charge to attend. I do encourage you to get along there and and find out more. And, uh, and no doubt you're also looking forward, uh, Sarah, to digging into the great wad of papers you've got in front of you to um, give some more anecdotes and a few surprises for those who are turning up. Yes. Uh, Kia ora, thanks so much for joining us here on the Awesome Morning Show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.